great to see you. For those of you I haven't met before, actually, I think I've managed to meet everyone. Um, but just in case I haven't, as Jamie said, I'm Kath. We lead the church together here. Um, and I wanted to start this morning by saying something a bit soppy to you all today. Um, so bear with. Um, Jamie has already outed me as a massive birthday diva. So I'm not going to do a, hopefully too much of a birthday speech. Um, but I did want to say a couple of things. Um, I, I should say at this point, I am known in my family and with some of my closest friends as being a bit of a birthday diva. Any other birthday divas in the room? You're not going to confess. I know Emma Wilcox isn't here, but um, if she was, she is a birthday diva. Her birthday tends to span about a period of a month. Um, but I, I think I am sort of slowly growing out of it. But I think for me, there's kind of a combination of I love presents, probably a bit more than I should. Um, and I also, as Jamie's already exposed, I do quite like being the centre of attention, which is something you're not really supposed to admit to, but it's true, I do quite like being the centre of attention. Um, so the combination of those has meant that I've sort of made quite a big deal of my birthday, sort of annually, um, beyond an age which is probably appropriate. Um, <laughs> yeah, 12, I know, 34, not so much. Um, anyway, I, a couple of years ago, this kind of reached a sort of a, a bit of a peak where Jamie and I were actually away for the week. And despite knowing that my sort of preferred routine on my birthday is to be woken up with the holy trinity of a cup of tea, uh, a solo rendition from Jamie of the happy birthday song. Um, that's, that's the first thing I want to hear when I wake up on my birthday morning. Um, and see a card from Jamie and perhaps a present or two, um, all in bed. I don't want to do anything else before those that I've experienced the Holy Trinity of a cup of tea, solar rendition of happy birthday and a card. Anyway, we were away for the week this time on my birthday and shocker of shockers, Jamie hadn't had an opportunity to write my birthday card. So he came in, had the cup of tea, check, had the solar rendition of happy birthday, check, but no card. Um, and I'm not proud of this, but I cried. <laughs> I cried at the lack of card. Um, so all this to say, people that know me well, um, when they've asked me this week, you know, sort of slightly tiptoed on eggshells, you know, what are you up to for your birthday this year, Kath? Um, I said, oh, well, it's actually on Sunday. So I'm at church and um, I'm, I'm actually down to speak um, this Sunday morning. Um, people that know me well have been, sort of met me with a bit of a like, ooh. <laughs> Um, and I think what they've meant by that sort of ooh is, um, how's that going to go down? Because normally you haven't your sort of whole birthday routine worked out. How are you going to feel about that? Um, Jamie, I think, scarred by these sort of previous experiences, possibly anticipating me freaking out today about not having time this morning for the Holy Trinity of those three things, um, actually gave me a gift on Friday night and on Saturday morning, just to kind of soften the blow. Um, so major proud points for Jamie, but also major shame on me. Um, but I was going to say something soppy, um, and here it is. I don't know whether it is that I am finally, I'm hamming up my birthday divaness. I don't know whether, although I have been in, made to feel like one this morning. Um, but I don't know whether it's finally that I'm just sort of growing up and maturing at the age of 34. Um, but I really felt this week, do you know what? There's actually nowhere else I would rather be on Sunday morning than with these people in this room. And I'm aware that that's quite a weird thing to say in some ways, because lots of us don't know each other that well yet. We're still sort of getting to know each other. Um, but I feel this sort of really growing sense here that you are my people. 
And this is the community as well that I really want to share my life with. And um, as Jamie was sort of saying earlier, over these past few weeks, we've really started to explore that topic more together about what it means for us to grow as a community together, to grow as a distinctive community together. Um, and I found in the middle of that that I've just felt again just what a compelling vision for life Jesus gives us as a community. Like, I, I want to be that sort of person that is servant-hearted, that doesn't put myself first, that thinks about God and thinks about others before I think about myself. I want to be a generous person. I want people to look at me and to look at us. I just feel so excited about that. Like, what it can feel, you know, like we're a small room of people, but I feel like the potential for what God could do in and through us as he grows us and shapes us more into the, like, the likeness of his son, Jesus, is just so exciting for me. So I say that, you know, feeling like I know that's a bit of a weird thing to say because we're kind of just at the beginning of this journey. But I've just really observed in myself, but also in others, just a growing hunger for that as well in our lives, like a hunger to follow after the way of Jesus, to really sort of, I kept hearing this phrase at this conference we were at this week about apprenticing under Jesus, but I see that hunger in this room, like people who really want to apprentice under the person of Jesus, but not just as an individual, sort of being in it together with the community. So that is why, my friends, there is nowhere else I would rather be on my birthday than here with you. Um, I, this does have a point, which I'm getting to. Um, I want to, all of that to say, I sort of wanted to use this morning to speak on a bit of a one-off. I know we've been in this series about a community on a mission. We've sort of tackled that first part about community. And we're going to come on later in the term to talk about um, mission and what that means for us. Um, but I wanted to speak on a one-off this morning, partly in response to that sort of hunger that I see, um, I feel in myself and I see in others of wanting to follow after Jesus more. Um, but also because I've had a couple of moments over the past weeks where I've just felt like God has grabbed my attention through those moments. The first was, um, Jamie and I were having dinner with some friends um, from this church a, a couple of weeks ago. And one of my friends said to me, just towards the end of the meal, um, she talks about how she's grown up in church, been in church her whole life, but she's always really struggled with reading the Bible. She's just said, I've just never, like, I've just never got to grips with it. I've always just found it really, really difficult. Um, and that's not all that remarkable thing to say. I meet up, one of the joys of what Jamie and I get to do is just meet up and have loads of coffee with great people. Um, and often when I meet up for people with coffee from church, often people who have grown up in church, they'll say, I just, I just don't know where to start with the Bible. I find it really difficult. Um, but when she said it, something just caught my attention about it. So I just thought, I'm just going to bank that. Um, the second moment that sort of I felt God catch my attention was this past week. As Jamie said, we've been at this sort of Vineyard Leaders Conference this week. It's been a brilliant time away. We've learned so much and come away really inspired. Um, but I went to this seminar uh, as part of that conference, which was on following Jesus in the middle of life and ministry. And it's basically just a really basic seminar on how we can create good rhythms in our life that help us keep getting to know Jesus better and following after him, even as life gets increasingly busy. Um, but the bit that sort of caught my attention was at one point in the seminar, the guy was talking about how to spend time with Jesus. So like basic kind of stuff in lots of ways. And he asked the people in the room, and there are probably about 500 people in this seminar, I would say. He asked that sort of 500 in them, how many of us in the room had ever had anyone actually sit down with us um, and talk us through what they did to spend time with Jesus. So what it looked like for them and sort of showed us how to do it. How many of us had ever experienced something like that in our lives? 
And in a room full of 500 people, largely sort of people who lead churches and a number of whom will have grown up in the church, I would say probably between, what do you say, like five people, five to ten people put their hands up in response to that. Um, and I was kind of like shocked. Um, not, and I didn't put my hand up, so I don't know why I was that shocked. Um, I was shocked, but he said, do you know what, I'm not surprised by that response at all, that he's asked that question in numbers of rooms of that sort of size, and the average response is always about the same. Hardly anyone has ever had someone do that with them, sit down with them and be like, look, this is how I spend time with Jesus, if that's helpful to you. So that was the second moment that caught my attention in the space of a couple of weeks. And I think where I've landed is where Jamie and I see in this room, in ourselves included, a hunger in people to know Jesus better and follow in his ways. I wanted to just spend some time in a really basic way this morning, looking at how we do get to know Jesus better, where we're hungry for that in our lives, how we get to know him better. Um, so it's going to be a slightly weird rest of this talk in some ways, so bear with. Um, but I want to sort of do a bit of a mixture of sort of giving some um, background to some of this, but also just point you towards a bunch of resources that you might help find helpful in your life um, as you sort of consider for yourself how you get to know Jesus better. So to kick us off, I want to use as my launch pad um, some of the thinking of a Swiss theologian called Karl Barth. How many people have heard, heard of Karl Barth in this room? A surprising number. Good work. Um, Karl Barth, for those who don't know, was the most influential theologian, uh, probably arguably the most influential theologian and sort of Christian thinker of the 20th century. He's also my sort of arch nemesis and rival um, because he is <laughs> he is the other KB in Jamie's life. Um, so when we were studying theology in Bristol um, before we came here, Jamie read a lot of Karl Barth. Um, and no exaggeration, I would quite regularly um, find him sort of looking wistfully into the distance. And I think, oh, that's nice. He's just having a little moment to think about me or... <laughs> you know, perhaps reflect back on our wedding day or, so, you know, something like that. And I sort of say to Jamie, love, what are you thinking about? Uh, and he'd sort of sigh and say, oh, he's just thinking about something that Karl Barth said. Uh, sort of gaze wistfully off into the difference. So um, he is my main rival, but I love Karl Barth too. Um, and one of the reasons I love Karl Barth is that he has this way in his writings, which are incredibly dense and in some ways quite difficult to read but he has this way of always pointing us back to Jesus he just again and again it's all about Jesus and he has this framework to answer this question how can I know God and actually he framed it the other way around how has God made himself known to us he has this framework that I found really helpful um, and he sort of argued that there were three layers to answering that question which I'm about to show you in a diagram so, Cal, if we can have the diagram. Let me just tell you right now, this, power, this um, diagram took my PowerPoint skills to their absolute limit. Um, so, be impressed. Um, but here we go. This is Karl Barth's, um, the way that he answered this question. How has God made himself known to us? Three concentric circles, and right in the center is the person of Jesus. Barth said this, that first and foremost, God has made himself known to us in the person of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, and in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In John's Gospel, John puts it like this, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. 
In other words, we've talked about this quite a lot last term in the autumn, but if you want to know what God is look like, you have to look no further than the person of Jesus. We have to look at Jesus. And a number of you in the room will have heard me use this quote before, but there's another scholar called T.F. Torrance who was a huge sort of Bart fanboy himself. Um, and he was writing about this work and he put it like this, there is no God behind the back of Jesus Christ. What you see in Jesus Christ is the God that we believe in and worship. But that then leads us to another question, which is how can we today know Jesus? It's all very well for those lucky early followers of Jesus who got to sort of follow and walk and talk with him in the first century. But what about the rest of us? How do we get to know him? Well, here is where the next circle and the sort of Bible comes in. Bart said this, that we have access to the person of Jesus through the witness to him in the pages of the Bible. So in both the New Testament writings, which look back to Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and the birth of his first community, the early church, but also in the Old Testament writings, which look forward to his coming out of the people of Israel. And Jesus himself actually makes this point about the Old Testament. So in Luke 24, after he's been resurrected, Jesus joins two of his disciples on the road to a place called Emmaus. Emma preached a great um, talk on this at the beginning of the year. Um, so he joins two of his disciples on the road to a place called Emmaus, and they don't recognize that it's Jesus at first. And they start telling him basically about all their woes, um, their confusion about this man Jesus that they've been following. They'd kind of been pinning all of their hopes on him, but he'd been crucified. And so now they weren't quite sure what to think about him. And Jesus' response is to listen to their questions and then to teach them about himself using the Old Testament. So Luke writes this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Um, and I want to say as an aside at this point, this is such an important key for reading the Old Testament well. For those of you that have had a stab at reading the Old Testament What's easier, Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament, show hands. No one. New Testament, show hands. Thank you. Okay, so if you're someone that struggles with reading the Old Testament, you're in good company, but this is a really important key for learning to read the Old Testament well. Always asking the question, how does what I'm reading point to Jesus? How does what I'm reading point to Jesus? It's actually worth knowing that when the earliest followers of Jesus had the task of deciding which books made it into the Bible, their main yardstick was, what is this book's connection with the person of Jesus? That was how they worked it out and discerned what went in. Um, that's not always immediately obvious when we're reading certain bits of the Old Testament, but it's a really important question to ask of anything, especially when we read the Old Testament, because we become really unstuck if we think the God of the Old Testament is different from the God we see in Jesus in the New Testament. That's an aside. Now, for the keen-witted among you, you will have noticed I have not yet got to the third circle in my excellent diagram. Um, fear not, we will come back to that in a minute. But all of this to say, first of all, when we are asking as a community questions about how we know Jesus better and follow in his ways, we have to understand that reading the Bible as a community is our way in. That's our way in to accessing the person of Jesus. So I want to pause there for a second. I just want you to think, what is your experience of reading the Bible like to date? Um, it might be totally non-existent. You might be here exploring faith, and that is absolutely fine, and we're so glad you're here. So it might be completely non-existent. Others, maybe you've grown up in the church, um, 
And when we talk about things like reading the Bible, it flushes to the sort of surface for you feelings of guilt or inadequacy. Maybe you think, um, I kind of get in theory that it's a good thing to do, um, but I never feel like I quite do it justice. Um, Maybe for others, you're actually quite skeptical, whether or not you're a Christian, you're quite skeptical about the Bible. You've come across passages in it that are really difficult to understand and navigate. And so it's left you unsure of like, actually, how much do I even want to read this or engage with this? Um, or you might be a full-on Bible nerd um, and you can't get enough of it. And God bless you if that is you. So that's great. Um, for me personally, I'm really grateful in lots of ways. I was brought up in a Christian family and in church, and there's lots about that that's been really positive. Um, And by nature, I'm probably slightly, and by personality really, I'm probably slightly on the more disciplined end of the spectrum when it comes to reading the Bible. Um, But year by year, my attitude and my reasons for reading the Bible are changing. Um, When I was younger, I think I read the Bible largely... um, because I felt like it was something that good Christians do. That was just what we did. So I sort of ticked the box. And I sort of approached the Bible like a moral book that gave me sort of guidance for how to live my life. Um, Now, there is some merit in this, but the older, and I like to think wiser, I get, um, the more I realize it, that reading it that way is to kind of miss, miss the point about the Bible, because in some ways, my reading of the Bible became like an end in and of itself, a thing that I was just supposed to do, rather than the means by which I'm getting to know Jesus. So I want you to listen to this from the great man Karl Barth himself. He said this, it is not the right human thoughts about God which form the content of the Bible, but the right divine thoughts about men. The Bible tells us not how we should talk with God, but what he says to us. Not how we find the way to him, but how he has sought and found the way to us. In other words, reading the Bible is never supposed to be just an exercise in sort of seeking out wisdom and good life advice. It's about finding and experiencing the living Jesus. And actually, probably more accurate, it's about positioning ourselves to be found by him. Um, We talked about the reformer Martin Luther a couple of weeks ago. He did more than anyone to sort of highlight the priority of the Bible in the life of a Christian. And he argued in his day passionately against the Catholic Church, where he felt they were sort of adding these extra demands on people, um, on followers of Jesus, other than what they found in the Bible. And he had this sort of slogan that he was known for, sola scriptura in Latin, um, which just means scripture alone. Um, So he was a full-on Bible nerd. Um, He had an extraordinarily sort of high view of the Bible, but even he described the Bible like this the swaddling clothes and manger in which we come to adore Jesus. The Bible is just the swaddling clothes and the manger in which we come to adore Jesus. So the Bible ought to be prized, it ought to be treasured by us, but only because in the Bible we get to experience the living Jesus. It's a means to an end, the end being Jesus himself. So I'm going to move on in a sec to talk about how we read the Bible well, But I want to do that in the context of this most important point. And if you take nothing away from this talk, other than the fact that I'm a birthday diva, um, please take this away too. We want to be a community here that is passionate about the Bible and absolutely treasures the Bible, but not because that's something that good Christians do. Um, We want to be passionate about the Bible because we're passionate about Jesus. And we want to do all we can as a community to position ourselves to find him, or better still, to be found by him. 
So with that in mind, um, I'm going to move on to talk briefly. How do we read the Bible well? I want to say three things on this. Firstly, we read the Bible well by reading it in community. Um, and now, my friends, for those of you who are on the edges of your seat, we've come to the moment you've all been waiting for, the third circle in our diagram, for those of you who are wondering what that was all about. So this was Karl Barth's um, answer, remember, to his question, how can we know God, or how has God made himself known to us? Firstly, God has made himself known to us in the person of Jesus. Secondly, we have access in the here and now to the person of Jesus through the witness to him in the scriptures. But then thirdly, and really importantly, God has entrusted the church as the community instituted by and gifted with the Holy Spirit. He's entrusted them with the task of interpreting scripture as we read it and grapple with it together. So if you call yourself a Christian in this room, you are saying you are someone who follows Jesus. And as such, like it or lump it, you have been unavoidably drawn in to his family, the global church. And it is to his church that Jesus has entrusted his spirit and the message about himself. And he's given that to the whole church. He hasn't entrusted it to one or two mavericks or one or two, one or two very special people. It's the role of the church at large to find Jesus in the pages of scripture and to bring his life to bear then in every new age, place and circumstance we find ourselves in. Which basically means at a simple level for us, any individual reading that I have of the Bible now has to be thrown into the mix and weighed up with how the rest of the church, both in the past and in the present and then to come in the future, understands it. Now, that might sound like a frightening thought. There are probably corners of the church for each of us that genuinely feel like, oh, those people genuinely do feel like brothers and sisters to sort of use that language. Um, but there are other parts of the church that feel more like, if we're honest, like our great aunt Mildred. And we're not huge fans of them. And so the question is like, are we seriously like, do we need to listen to them too? And how they interpret things? Um, but I would say, I think the alternative is actually far more frightening. Um, and I say that because I know myself. And if it were left up to me alone to come up with like Kath's definitive interpretation of different passages of the Bible, the world would be in serious trouble. Um, and no offense, but I'm pretty sure I could confidently say the same about any of you in this room. So we read together, we study together, we grapple together, trusting all the time that the Holy Spirit will always have his way in the church. And he will do as Jesus promised, that he will guide us into all truth. All of this to say, the Bible's supposed to be read in community, and not just any community, it's supposed to be read in the company of the church, and our way into that is the local church. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we only read it once a week when we get together on a Sunday. We live in a privileged time and a place where we can access the Bible 24-7. We ought to make the most of that. But part of belonging to a local church is to say that, is to say, I'm going to bring my individual reading of the Bible and throw it into the mix with this community. And with these people, I'm going to commit to grappling with it, all for the sake of knowing Jesus better. So that's the first thing. We read the Bible well by reading it in community. The second is this. We read the Bible contextually. Um, are you ready for another diagram? Yes, I hear you all scream from your seats. Um, here's my other diagram. Um, what I mean by reading the Bible contextually is this. 
Every time we come to the pages of the Bible, three different worlds collide. So the first world is the world in front of the text. In other words, you and me. So we bring who we are, where we are, and when we are to our reading of the text. So for us, we're living in Liverpool in 2020. Then you have the world of the text. What does the text actually say? So we read the Bible in our English translations, most of us, but the Old Testament, most of us will know, was largely written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. Um, so we need to be aware, things might get lost in translation along the way when we're reading it in English. But it's also not just the language that we need to watch. We sort of believe that the Bible tells one unified story. It is a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if that's a new concept to you, I really recommend that you listen to Jamie's talk from the carol service, because he framed that really brilliantly um, in, in the talk he gave there. But all to say, the Bible is meant to be stood as a kind of unified whole, not a collection of random thoughts. But it is a story that is told in all sorts of different genres. So at one time, it can be told in the genre of history. At another time, it can be told through a song. At another time, it can be told through a poem. At other times, through a joke. That is actually true, apparently. At another time, you can it, the story is told through jokes. Um, or through letters. There's all sorts of different genres. So it's no good approaching every single genre in the same way. Jamie gave a brilliant example, I thought, of this the other week when he was talking about the book of Genesis, which explores the creation and the sort of origins of the world. And he talked about this idea that it's no good approaching Genesis as if it was written like a scientific textbook. That's not the genre it was written in. So if you treat it that way, you're going to come away with some really lousy science and probably a bit of disillusioned and thinking, well, this is all a total load of rubbish. Um, so we have to treat different genres differently. So that's the world of the text. That's the second world that sort of collides when we read the Bible and one that we need to take seri seriously. Then finally, we have the world behind the text. And in other words, the context. Um, and this, I think, is a really important one. So whilst it's great for us to be asking, you know, what does this text have to say to me in my life? We also need to recognize it wasn't originally written to me. It wasn't originally for me. Um, so next week, we are going to start a mini-series um, looking at the book of Colossians together, actually the letter to the Colossians, as a way of practicing reading the Bible together well as a community. And we're going to try and use something of this sort of three worlds approach as we work our way through. And whilst we absolutely want to land with asking questions about what the text has to say to us today, here in Liverpool 2020, we also recognize that the book, which is actually a letter, wasn't written for us. It was written to one of the earliest churches in the first century in modern-day Turkey, to people who had their own unique sets of sort of concerns and circumstances. And it was written by Paul, who had his own motivations for writing it. So reading the Bible well, all to say, means we seek to understand what the text originally was trying to say before we then reapply it. Are you with me? <coughs> Following, tracking, great. So a good reading of the Bible holds those three worlds together. Now, if you are thinking, Kath, my Hebrew is actually a little bit rusty at the moment. I haven't dusted it off for some time. Um, and funnily enough, I'm also not very well versed in sort of Jewish history or the history of first century Turkey. Um, does that mean I cannot read the Bible well when I read the Bible on my own? Now, two things to say on this. Firstly, absolutely not. It does not mean that. The world in front of the text piece that we talked about first, who am I, what am I bringing to the text, and what am I taking away from the text, is really important. And it's a really legitimate way to read the Bible. There are heroes of the faith who have read the Bible 
purely through that first lens. And God, by his spirit, has spoken to them through what they've read in the pages. It's a totally legitimate way to read the Bible. Um, and I do that plenty um, myself. But the warning for us and the thing to just hold in the back of our mind is if we do that, let's do it with humility and an awareness that there might be different ways of interpreting what we're reading. And in fact, our understanding might even be different or opposite to what the author originally intended. So just have it as a caveat in your mind if you're going to read the Bible in that way. And I encourage you to do that. Um, the second thing is, this again is where the community piece really comes into its own for us. Because whilst our Greek and our Hebrew might be a bit rusty, um, or our Jewish history knowledge might be a bit um, non-existent, um, we are privileged to belong to a global church family, which in does include some full-on Bible nerds who love this stuff, and some of whom have even gone to the effort to make their learning accessible to us. So on that note, this is when I want to re recommend a few resources to you um, that can really help, particularly with some of this stuff about um, the world behind the text and learning stuff around that. So first up um, is the Read Scripture app. Hands up in the room, show of hands, anyone that's used this before. Great, so a few in the room. Um, the Read Scripture app has been put together by a non-profit organization called The Bible Project. And the app basically includes like a Bible reading plan, um, which you can set to either work through the whole lot in a year, or you can just do it at your own pace. Confession, I set it last January to work at it through a year, and then had to abandon, and I'm now doing it at my own pace, let's say. <laughs> um, but it is absolutely excellent. Um, and as you work your way through it, they have a, basically have a video explaining every single book of the Bible that you read. They'll show you a video beforehand. Um, and then they also have videos on particular themes that really dig into that world behind the text stuff. So it starts you off on a footing of knowing what was this book originally written for and why. It's a really, really great way in um, if you're wanting to um, explore some of that stuff a bit more. So I really recommend that to you. Second resource um, is this other, another app. If we can have that one up, Cal, thanks. Um, is the Bible in one year, which is what it says. Um, this is put together by Alpha International, and it has set readings for every day of the year. It even has like an audio setting, so you can listen to it on the go, which I know Jamie likes to do. Um, and this one, I would say, has more of an emphasis on like drawing out a nugget each day and helping you sort of apply it to everyday life. But what I would say is they do that against a backdrop of they've already done that work for you of the world behind the text. So it's pretty reliable and, and it's a bit more accessible if, you're, if you feel like I don't want to be overloaded with information. Or thirdly, if you want to take it old school, you want to read a book instead. Um, these are kind of two go-tos. Um, on how to read the Bible well, particularly when it comes to these questions of reading it in context. First is how to read the Bible for all it's worth, old school edition, but they have reprinted it with nicer versions. Um, and how to read the Bible book by book, which gives you like a summary of each as well. Um, so recommend those to you if that's helpful. So to summarize, how do we read the Bible well? We read the Bible in community. We read it contextually. And last but not least, we read it regularly. Um, if it's true, and I believe it is, that knowing Jesus and following after him is the way to a full life, and if it's true that we find Jesus in the pages of the Bible, then we are mad if we don't carve out time to try 
on a regular basis to be to find him in those pages and be found by him as we read. Um, so I want to close just by coming first full circle to what I shared at the beginning about how most people have never had anyone sit them down and walk them through what they do when they spend time with Jesus. So if this is helpful to you, I'm going to tell you what I do. Um, if this is not helpful to you, ignore it. It's really important that you come up with your own rhythm. So Kath's morning, an insight into my every day. Um, I get out of bed in the morning. I make myself a cup of tea, absolutely essential. Um, I take my tea and I go and sit in the lounge by myself. Sometimes, if I'm feeling the moment, I light a candle. Um, because I once read that um, monks and nuns sometimes do that as a symbol of reminding themselves that Jesus is there. He's with them. He's present as they come to spend time with him. Don't always do that, but at the moment, I've got a good winter one on the go. Um, then at different times of life, I will change my pattern of what I do because I tend to find that if I keep the same pattern week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, I just get a bit bored and I start to do it like going through the motions rather than actually engaging. Um, but the pattern I'm in at the moment, if it's helpful for you, is this. I have a journal with me. Um, and I normally start by writing in my journal just a couple of sentences of how I'm honestly doing that morning. So if I've, grow, um, if I've woken up feeling like particularly grumpy, I'll tell God, God, I'm grumpy this morning. If I've woken up feeling like really grateful for something, I'll tell God about that. Whatever I'm feeling, I'll just try and bring whatever that is before God. Just a couple of sentences. I'm quite introverted, so I like to write that down. Jamie, I know, is at his best when he prays out loud. So you have to sort of find for you what you like to do in that sort of respect. But I write that down in a journal. Then sometimes um, I will write a list of three things that I'm thankful for. I don't always do that. Um, but actually, I tend to do that more when I'm grumpy than when I'm not, which sounds counterintuitive. But um, there's an amazing verse in the Psalms that says, enter his thanksgiving Enter his courts with thanksgiving. What is it? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I.e., we enter, it's a way of helping us enter God's presence sometimes, is to call to mind what we're grateful for and, um, and why we love God. So normally, actually, if I'm grumpy, that's my go-to. I write a few things that I'm grateful for. And then, as I said, over the past year, I've been using the Read Scripture app. So I work through that. I read a passage from whatever book of the Bible I'm up to, and they give you a psalm as well. And then off the back of that, I literally spend another five to ten minutes maybe doing some more journaling. So it might be just things that have struck me from what I've read. Um, or sometimes, if I'm distracted, it might just literally be like concerns for the day, just bringing all of that before God in a journal. And then lastly, and this is a more recent one for me, because um, I'm trying to start practicing silence in my life a bit more, because we have so little space for it in our lives. I set a timer on my phone for seven minutes. Ten is too ambitious for me at the moment. I'm on my, working my way up to ten. But I set a timer on my phone for seven minutes, and for that, those seven minutes, I sit in silence. And I don't pray anything in particular, but I just allow space for God to speak to me if he wants to. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. Um, but I'm just still in that moment. And that's it. And then I get on with my day. So that is what I do when I come to spend time with Jesus. A um, couple of caveats on this. Firstly, like I said at the beginning, I am probably on the more disciplined end of things, um, just by personality and upbringing. But I definitely go through phases as well where I do not get out of bed on time. I've already confessed that I've sort of fallen by the wayside a bit with the read scripture thing. It's taken me long, far longer than I intended. And equally, um, there's plenty of times when I'm distracted by other things. So I'm on a journey with this as much as everybody. 
Second caveat, which I'm sure some people, particularly in the back, are thinking, whoa. Um, I'm about to go into a season of life when we're about to have a baby, and I quite possibly will not have the luxury of a cup of tea and a candle in the mornings. Um, so I will need to rethink what this looks like for me in a few months' time. Um, and that's something that I'm going to have to work through. And, and the point of that is you have to find something that works for you. Find something that works for you, for your stage of life, for your rhythms. And also find something that reflects honestly where you're at right now. Don't, like, if you haven't been doing this, don't try and start jumping in and reading four chapters of the Bible a day. Just, but even if it's five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is, start small if you need to. And one final thought on this, for those in the room who don't have a regular pattern of this already, and are thinking, I'd like to do this, but I'd like to start small. I want to recommend one final tool to you. Um, Jamie and I, before we moved here and before we lived in Bristol, we spent about 10 years in London. Um, and for a long chunk of that time, we were part of the team at a, a church in King's Cross called KXC. Um, and they're still great friends of ours. And they, this year, have committed to reading the New Testament all the way through as a community throughout 2020. So they're going to take the whole of 2020 to read through the New Testament. And they've come up with this really helpful tool to get going with it. So I just want to show you a quick video of them explaining it, because they'll do a better job than me. If you were to pick up this book and start reading the first couple of chapters, this would be your conclusion that whenever God speaks, there's an explosion of life. So the challenge for us is how do we carve out space every single day for God to speak? This is what we're going to do as the KXC community in 2020. We're going to read through the whole of the New Testament together over the course of the year. We're going to use a really simple acronym, BREAD, B, be still. Just find a time of the day to be still. R, read the text. E, encounter Christ in the text. Choose one verse. What comes to mind how is God speaking to you a how do you apply that text to your life and then D devote the day to God this is probably 15 minutes of your time but every single day God speaking we believe there'll be an explosion of life in your life so to join the adventure go to kxc.org.uk forward slash bible it's going to be a huge amount of fun so full permission to check out their website and do that um just don't move to London, stay here. Um, <laughs> so, um, but please, seriously, we're part of the global church. These guys, they would be delighted for us to rinse their resources. So if that would be something that would be helpful to you, do go and check out that website. Um, and if even hearing that, you still feel daunted and feel like, oh, I don't know, I've never really done this, I feel like it's not for me, just want to show you an Instagram post that Pete put up the other week. Um, this is, these were written by a seven-year-old um, who's based, actually based at another church in California that's rinsing this resource as well. Um, and these were their notes off the back of their bread reading. So if it, guys, if a seven-year-old can do it, surely we can. Um, I think there is another one. Yeah, you can see there's very sweet. Um, okay, I'm going to come into land there and we're going to create a bit of space to pray. Um, I'm aware that that is a lot of information I've just thrown at you. Um, but I just want to encourage us this morning. We so believe that Jesus is at work in this community, creating hunger in us to know him better and to follow in his ways as well. And if you resonate with that, if you are hungry for more of that in your life at the moment, I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whether you're right at the beginning of following Jesus or whether you have been following him for years, as we stand and pray now, just take a moment to ask him to show you what is like a, a step forward for me 
on this journey. It doesn't need to be the same as anyone else's step forward, but what would a step forward for me be like in this? Positioning myself to find Jesus in the pages of the Bible and ultimately to be found by him as well.